Matthew chapter 8, we'll begin reading in verse 5, and we will uh, read through verse uh, 27. 22, I'm sorry. 22. Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 22. I'll be reading out the New King James Version, as is my custom. God's Word declares, Now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she arose and served them. When evening had come, they they brought to him many who were demon-possessed. And he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came out and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Well, we do have... um, a little bit to share this morning uh, for tonight. We are going to be getting into a portion of study tied into the book of Jude. It's going to really affect Jude in multiple places. And so we're going to start that tonight. And this really began with the verse that we're going to be focusing in on today. I'm not going to give it the time and attention it needs today. I'm really going to focus more and more on it for the next two or three weeks. I warned you as we are studying the book of Jude, that we're going to be taking some of these and springboarding into studies. And this is one of those areas that we're going to do an extensive study on. And I do so with a little bit of um, caution. Uh, As we go in to study the angels who fell, who did not keep their proper domain as as Jude 6 describes, It is very easy to get caught up into the idea that this realm has uh, power that uh, challenges God's, and that is not our desire. And nor is it going to be the focus of these studies to really get a good handle on them in terms of how the world views it today. Our purpose is to understand their fall what was involved in it, and how it has affected man, and how we should respond. 
And that's going to take us into some arenas that maybe we are not very comfortable with in our modern version of Christianity. We don't think of demonology, of demon possession, as something that happens in the modern world, but in fact it does. We have relegated many of those things to other categories of disease or illness of that the Bible very clearly places uh, on many occasions into the realm of spiritual warfare, not physical or mental warfare. And so we need to examine these things, and it takes time to unravel uh, centuries, really, uh, at least a century of training that you have had uh, on these things, which has all been focused to discredit the Bible. It has been to discredit God's perspective on the enemy. It has made it so that we are unaware. Remember that one of the things that we are warned about is that they will creep in on us. Well, one of the areas that have really crept into the church is the minimization of the angels who are not in their proper domain. And what they are doing here on planet Earth that is, for this time, their dominion. And therefore, it requires something of us. And that which it requires us is that we contend earnestly for the faith. But lest we think that somehow we have no armory to deal with this enemy... Let me remind you that we do, and God has called us more than conquerors. His expectation is that we will have a victorious Christian life, even as we confront the evil one and his followers, his servants, both among the angelic and human races, and recognize that we are called to function here, to minister here. Here in Jude, verse 6, we're really dealing with an example, and we're going to be talking about that somewhat today, more so next week. We're using as an example uh, three examples of those who do these things. They defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. We're going to focus in on one thing today, and we're going to bring that application within the context of the world that calls on us today to celebrate this Lord's Day as Father's Day. It should be a little offensive to you that Mother's Day, Father's Day, Children's Day, and Grandparents' Day are all on Sundays. That should offend you that we're trying to displace the Lord from his day and uh, make him our day. This is my day because I'm a dad. No, it's not. It's my Lord's Day, and he is my father. And so I don't emphasize Mother's Day. I, it, we did have a Mother's Day message because that Sunday happened to fall on a verse that's talked about the creepers and the other passage dealing with those that creep in were creeping into households laying a hold of gullible women. And uh, so we tried to counterbalance that by what is the opposite of being a gullible woman. Today we're going to look at one other thing, and yes, I'm going to try to make that application into your homes uh, and again... Uh, try to tie that in, but it's not really my purpose. And so that's kind of a tangent that I will 
plug into here this morning, but it's not really what I want to drive at. Uh, and you'll pick that up very quickly. Uh, but we're entering into a study. This is, this is a sub-study within Jude, and it's going to take us in a variety of places, and it's going to take us to places that you're not very well versed in. Not, out of, not in terms of verses of your Bible, but verses that aren't in your Bible. Uh, we have to go where Jude is taking us, and Jude is going to take us, and he is heavily influenced by a book that is not in your Bible, but was accessible to Jude, and that was the book of Enoch. And it is a book that very few of us have access to, and probably even fewer of us have ever read. Um, and we're going to have to address it, because Jude describes this as a genuine article, that this was something Enoch said, and that we're going to come to when we get to verse 14. In preparation for that, and because the book of Enoch is influenced all the way from this verse on through verse 14, we need to address some of that. We're going to be doing that over the next few weeks. I'm not going to possibly try to teach you the entire book of Enoch. Uh, There's 105 chapters. Uh, It goes from the time pre-flood all the way to post-flood through the time of Noah, Uh, And so uh, there's just no way. We're going to really touch on a few things. When we get to verse 14, we'll obviously be forced to address that passage, which is very early in the book of Enoch. Uh, I think it's chapter 2 or 3 that's there, that's being quoted there, maybe even the later part of chapter 1. And so we're going to address that. But what we also find some other exciting information, and I don't want to just scratch your itching ears for things you've never heard before, uh, you know that's not really my goal. Uh, I want you to teach you the whole counsel of God, and Jude takes us to really understand that. And I believe we need this to really get a right perspective on the fallen angels and try to keep a balance. And this is always my goal, is to have a biblically balanced position, to not go uh, out of balance in either direction, where we attribute too much to these fallen ones, nor do we want to go to the other one where we are ignorant of their ploys and devices and activity. But we want to be central, where we recognize they do have some power, they are at work in our world, um, but what influence do they have on us is largely up to us. For they cannot override... Um, what God has put in us, both in creation and in our recreation. We're going to talk extensively about that. But we're going to start this study. So really, this is a sub-study of the book of Jude. It's going to take me several weeks before we get out of verse 6. And so if that's really annoying to you, I'm sorry, but we want to really uh, delve into this a bit. And we are going to go down and reference um, verse 13, a little bit later as well in Jude. So we are going to go there um, because Enoch takes us there as well. And so, but we're going to correlate this with a Sunday night study. And that Sunday night study that's going to start tonight is going to talk about getting a biblical cosmology. And a cosmology is a study of the cosmos, which is created order. Uh, And this, again, is necessary to understand the correlation between the fall of the cosmos and what God is describing here. Just to give you some reference points, um, this really started for me in late November. So I have seven months on you. 
of study. Um, I uh, just asked a couple of questions, and those questions had really hard answers for me in the book of Jude, and they took me into fields of study um, that I I don't know that I can teach all of it, but I want to go through the scriptural aspects of our cosmology and the impact of uh, the fall, not only in terms of humans' fall, but of the angelic fall on the created order. And we're going to examine that and what they are still doing to, again, bring us to question the veracity of the Bible. That this isn't really a true book and science can disprove it and we are going to take a stand against the scientism of our day. And it should concern you that um, when we see parades in Albuquerque, that uh, have banners that say, in science we trust, that this is what they want to move our nation to. Uh, and when you, I see that on the front page of my newspaper, or on the metro section, whatever section it was, um, I think the way Jude, descri- or I'm sorry, the way Second Peter describes uh, Lot is, I'm vexed in my soul. Or as Paul on the city of on Athens Hill, that and, and walking through the city of Athens, um, describing his spirit there, and so uh, we need to address that. That we, as a body of saints, have a constancy in God's word and a full confidence in it as well. So that's the prelude of a new study. That is the substudy of Jude that we're going to start this morning with God's help. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Lord God, we do thank you for your word before us, and we thank you for its power, that its power is in its truth, that it's your very word, that it has authority, carries with it the wisdom of God, and for this we cannot thank you enough. And Lord, as we trust our own intuition, as we trust what the world and the evil one disclose, Lord, forgive us for thinking that in any manner it should displace the the truth of your word. Clearly given. And so we pray that as we study it, that we might come with the right spirit And having come to it in that fashion, Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We pray your spirit to help us to understand your word, to convict us by it, to strengthen us and encourage us in it. That we might walk by faith and not by sight. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode. He has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. This is not referring to the entire demonic host. I want to challenge you that, but this is only a sampling of it. You might say, when Jesus was on earth, there were demon-possessed people, and so Jude says, though, that they were chained in darkness. 
And so how can there still be demons active today and in Jesus' day if they were all already chained in, chained in darkness waiting for the great day? Well, Jude here is really referencing not the entire class of fallen angels. And this we need to understand first and foremost in our teaching on what is commonly called demonology, the study of fallen angels, of demons, is that there are classifications of them just as there are classifications of the unfallen angels. It shouldn't surprise you, right? It really shouldn't surprise you that if there are archangels in heaven, there are archdemons among them and that have various roles and authorities that have various uh, points of ministry. And the evidence is, is that from top to bottom, we have the same representation of the angelic order among the demonic order. And thus, Satan, Lucifer, we understand to be an archangel, maybe the archist of the archangels. I know archist isn't a word. Uh, most arch of the archangels, possibly. But he was certainly one of them. In addition to this, we have other degrees and ministries and responsibilities and authorities in angelic beings. And this is by God's created order, his cosmology. We're going to start in tonight. And so when you come to demonology, do not think you're dealing with one kind of entity. In fact, Jesus himself, if you'll recall, uh, when he's going and sending out the apostles, they come across a demon that they can't get out. Do you remember that instance? Do you remember that story? They can't get this guy out, and, and Jesus comes in, and he deals with them uh, with great power and authority. And... Um, the disciples say, well, what's the deal? Why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says, well, this kind of demon takes extra prayer and fasting. Well, what does that tell you? Well, that communicates to you that in the demonic order, there, are, there is a variety of powers. There are degrees what Jude is referencing here is not the entire order, not the entire realm of fallen angels, but rather one classification of fallen angels only. And these angels have, since the flood, been bound in a single place in utter darkness. And they are waiting for the final judgment to come. Jude tells us this. And it is this one order that were bound for a very specific reason because they did something they should not have done that was way beyond what God would tolerate continuing on the earth after the flood. We often think in terms of one reference that we're going to talk about, and that is in Genesis, but there's also a secondary element that, again, we find out in the book of Enoch. And so let's look at this order of angels that are bound, are reserved in chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. They're there. And so we have some clues in verse 6 right away to help us know what they, we are looking for. These are those who left their proper domain 
their abode, and they abode somewhere else. They lived somewhere other than in heaven. They were supposed to be in their proper place, and they left there and abode in a new place. And that new place was among men. And this takes us very quickly to Genesis. So let's look at this. And again, this might be, this is, there's a variety of interpretations, and I have, think over the course of my ministry, have held to a number of them. <laughs> but we're going to look at it here. Verse chapter 6 of Genesis, this is the account of the Nephilim, where the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men and saw that they were beautiful and came down. This is chapter 6, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he has indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And so... We have this account. This is actually the second account of the fall of angels. The first account, of course, was the temptation in the garden. And this we encounter, I believe, what we are watching is the progressive fall of angels. We get the idea somewhere that that all happened at one instance in one great rebellion with Satan. And I know that Revelation talks about that the dragon fell and drew a third of the stars with him. We're going to talk a lot about that when we get in our cosmology study on Sunday nights um, because of the references there to the stars throughout Revelation and other places. When we come to um, this idea of what was the process of the fall of these angels, and I want you to note that at this point in chapter 6, these are still described as the sons of God. And this is the same terminology used about angelic hosts throughout Hebrew writing. It is consistently there that these are angels. Now, we have variously tried to relegate this to the righteous line of Seth, um, to um, other elements. Uh, but at this point in my study, I'm pretty much convinced that this is describing uh, an angelic intermingling with man. We have here a declaration that they are the sons of God and that they left and they went and they not only took these women, but it says that they um, abode with them, that they were uh, living with them, that they left their heavenly abode in their presence where they were called to and they rebelled against the authority of God and they took for themselves these Women of the earth had children by them, and we have the giants of the land. Now, when we hear the word giants, you usually think about Samson. No, you think about Goliath, sorry. I don't know where Samson jumped in there. You think of Goliath and his brothers, the Philistines. 
and uh, pretty tall, pretty significant, um, but uh, probably nothing compared to the giants we're discussing here. We're talking uh, in comparison to some of the mythology in various people groups that all have giants in their history. We're talking people 20 and 30 feet tall. We're talking about things like titans in Greek mythology. Uh, we have them throughout there of these enormous individuals that did not survive the flood. God destroys them. Among the Nephilim, we have some indication that there was perhaps some genetic material still available, but not in terms that we have here. And so we have this intermingling. And in the book of Enoch, Enoch specifically designates this as the fall of many of the high angels of heaven. He lists them by name, 21 of them. He lists them by name. These are the angels who came and mingled among men, left their domain and abode with men on the earth. And they were not only guilty of commingling with them in marriage, but also bringing knowledge that men were not supposed to have and giving it. And in fact, in the book of Enoch, he'll go through each of these 21 and he will stipulate several of them as, the, as maybe even higher in authority than the majority and identifying what they shared with humanity of heavenly knowledge they were not supposed to share. And this is when we talk about the wickedness of man and this condition here in Genesis 6, remember, Enoch would have been living during this time. And he specifically talks about the magic, is what humans called it, that was revealed to man of how they could manipulate God's created order to do what they wanted it to do. Specifically, that they could manipulate copper, tin, iron, and something that Enoch just called liquid metal. We know that as mercury. That they taught women how to manipulate herbs and things of the, to try to extend life and to heal. That they were revealing these things to men, and it increased the knowledge of men exponentially, unnaturally, and it brought about the wickedness that we see God abhorring. This is described throughout the book of Enoch that Jude is quoting and influenced by. So when he is referring to angels who left their proper domain and their proper abode and made their abode among men, made their abode here, these are the ones that God said, no, I will not allow you to continue to have influence on the earth. These God stopped. They are enchained in darkness, and we find another text in the bottomless pit. They do not have access to us any longer. These are not a body, this is not a group of fallen angels we need to concern ourselves with. They are not on the face of the earth. They are in the earth, chained in darkness. 
Why are they there? Because their rebellion was something of a different nature than Lucifer's. We're going to talk about Lucifer's rebellion, of course, in the weeks to come. But I really want to just talk about all of them rebelled at whatever point, whether they followed after Lucifer, whether they gave into this desire after the daughters of men um, and other various mechanisms by which their rebellion became evident that we attribute a third of the angelic community falling out of, from the heavens uh, of all powers and authorities, all, all designations, uh, high to low, um, that we are dealing with. And so there is this one group, those that intermingled with men, that God says, no, I'm going to preserve the world. And Enoch prophesied about it. He said, this is, this is bringing judgment. This is the kind of judgments God's going to bring. He's going to take this angelic body, this demonic body, and he's going to put them in darkness, and God did that. And Jude references it. These are chained in darkness and are waiting for the judgment day when they will be thrown in the lake of fire with Satan and the other demons. Why wasn't Satan among their number? Because Lucifer did not participate in this activity. Yes, he was there in the Garden of Eden as a serpent, and he... Uh, challenged God, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. He fell as well, and perhaps that was the very act of his rebellion. That's my contention, is that that is the fall of Lucifer, is when he came to the garden and did what he did, thinking that he could bring the created order under his authority instead of leaving under God's authority and submitting himself to that ultimate authority of divine. But Satan was not Engaged here. Lucifer was not one of the named angels by Enoch of what happened here in Genesis 6 that abode with men. Rather, he is the liar, the tempter, the angel of light. And he did not commingle with man. He tempted man, he calls man and to serve him. Just as he came to Jesus and asked what? Bow down and worship me. Satan was not interested in commingling with man. Satan was interested in ruling man. This angelic group of fallen angels were interested in commingling with man, and God says, no, that is not to be anymore. And this is the body of angels, bound in darkness, waiting for the judgment. So Lucifer is still at large, and really, all the way into the book of Job, we know he still had some access to heaven. He had liberty of movement, and I believe he had that liberty of movement up until the arrival of Christ in heaven. And then he was cast down to the earth, and all throughout the New Testament, from the resurrection of Christ onward, Satan is always earthbound. You'll never again find him as a role in heaven as our accuser. The accuser of the brethren is fallen. Revelation says, what precipitated that fall? The arrival of Christ into heaven after the resurrection. So, he is earthbound. He has many others of, uh, of the demons serving him and really serving themselves. Their own interests. 
but having been fully warned and recognized that don't commingle with man. Because they have learned the lesson of these high angels, at least 21, however many were with them. Those were the 21 highest of them that were named by Enoch. These 21 that are now in chains of darkness. And we see some evidence of this as we go through a study of Jesus' interaction with demons. What do they keep asking? The first question they ask Jesus whenever they encounter him, knowing that he is about to deal with them, is, are you here to torment us ahead of time? Are you here to imprison us? Are you going to say, please don't? How about if you just send me into those pigs instead? Let us go into the pigs. Don't send us into the torment. Don't send us into the darkness. Don't, it's not time yet. And they recognize that. They don't want to join the angels that are bound in darkness. Jude 6 and other passages. They don't want to join that group. They, don't, they know it's not the time for the ultimate judgment. And so they ask Jesus, have you come here to torture us? Before our time, have you really come here? To, you know, and Jesus says, "Get out of here." Yeah, you want to go to those pigs? Go to the pigs. What happens to them when the pigs drown? What happens to the demons? Well, Jesus describes that as well. What happens when a demon is cast out? Does he go into this pit? Does he go and get chained in darkness? No. Jesus says, "What it happens to them? They wander the earth, dry, arid places, and then they look for someone else." I say all of this to recognize that we still have this element around us. But I want to go to the origins of it. So we're going to study it more extensively. I really just hit some of the high points of what we're going to be studying. But I want to talk about how it happened. And to do that, we need to go to Isaiah, chapter 14. How did this all start? And you're wondering, why did we read the account of the centurion and Matthew? I still haven't tied that. We'll get there. Stay with me. Isaiah 14. Verse 12 says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? Uh, literally, son of the morning is, uh, or Lucifer is the day star. Again, we're going to talk about stars and their cosmology and their relation to the angelic realm on our Sunday night study over the next few weeks, months. How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high, yet you shall be brought down to shield to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners? It's in the context of uh, prophecy against the king of Babylon. Not Nebuchadnezzar, but another. And here in this, we have this typology of Lucifer, the morning star. The daylight, day star, I'm sorry, the day star. We have the essence of fallenness. 
The essence of fallenness is rebellion against God and his created order. It is rebellion against God's authority. Satan here outlines it very clearly. Lucifer outlines it very clearly. He just sets it right down through the created order of God. Um, I'm going to go into heaven, and heaven in Genesis is the firmament. I'm going to go into the firmament. I'm going to exalt my throne above the stars of God. And the stars of God are where? Genesis tells us in the firmament. Um, so that's, again, I believe a strong reference to the angelic realm, that he was to exalt himself above and in charge of all the angels. His anticipation was he could lead all the angelic realm away from God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. This is referencing earth's authorities that he was going to bring under him. So he was going to basically want to take over God's entire created order, beginning with the angels, then men, the congregation of the earth, the mount of the congregation, um, and then he says, I'll be like the Most High. I'll have my own creator. He couldn't create, so he wanted to take over God's creative order, and I will be like God. And ultimately, I believe this was initiated at the creation of man. Why? Because man was created different. We are created in the image and likeness of God. The angels were not. What drives Satan's statement, say, I want to be like God, is to see that you and I, really Adam and Eve, were created like God, in the likeness of God. There was something that we possessed. Satan didn't have it. God has it, and we have it. Because we, not individually, but as a, Race, Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, in the likeness of God. And there was some possession of ours that Satan wanted to have his, and that was self-authority. We have, the, we have authority. What the first thing God did when he created us in his likeness and image, he said, here's the earth, you're in charge. Do you know that that's not true of any angel? God has never said, here's this, you're in charge. They are always serving the glory of God. They are never in charge of anything. They are servants of the Most High. That is what they are. We have been placed in charge of this aspect of, first of all, our own selves, that we get to choose whom we serve. God has given us that kind of authority, a will that has freedom to make choose choices contrary to the will of God. We have the liberty to do that as being image bearers. We also have authority on earth over the created order of the earth. We are called upon to subdue it, to keep it, to tend it, to name it. We're told in Psalms, Proverbs, other places that we are, it's the king's place to, to search out matters, to, to examine the earth, to study it, and yes, to even bring forth its secrets. 
I'm convinced that Lucifer saw that difference and wanted it. He wanted to be like God the way you are like God. He wanted authority. You see, Satan wasn't just about overthrowing God's authority. He wanted to overthrow your authority. Ultimately, what is demon possession? It is a demon taking control of your will that God gave you as his greatest gift. They want to control. They want authority. And it is only God who can grant authority. Everyone else whom God doesn't designate for authority are usurpers of authority, and that is what Satan and the demonic realm are. They are usurpers. They will grab authority that is not theirs. And in so doing, they are violating the authority that God has established in himself and in his created order, specifically in us, mankind. Having said that, in addition, throughout history, beginning with the first family, God has created other authorities among men, among mankind. And this is, brings us to Matthew chapter 8. And this is the tangent that I'm going to apply to you today. On this day that we choose to celebrate fatherhood, which is something as God's gift to us, in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus tells, says something that is just astonishing because of the testimony of a Gentile soldier. And it's something that his Israeli friends never figured out, most of them anyway. The declaration is, I'm a man under authority. I have authority, and I'm under authority, and I'm over authority. Verse, where I'm in uh, Matthew 8, verse 9. I have soldiers under me, and they obey me. I take orders from my superiors. I obey them. I give orders. They obey them. I understand authority. And Jesus, I'm looking at you, and I'm saying something to you. You have all authority. You say the word and anything and everything must obey you. It's going to be a long time before the disciples figure this out. They're going to be on the Sea of Galilee in a boat. Ah! Jesus is going to stop and say, be quiet, be still. And then, Storm's gone, sea's calm. And what's their comment? What authority does he have? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This guy already had that figured out. You don't have to come and touch him. I don't need a handkerchief from you. 
I, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Almighty One. You have all authority. Just say the word and it's done. This is what I believe about you, Jesus. Say the word and it's done. Do you know what he's telling us? He believes Jesus is the same one who said a word and created all things. Who spoke a word and bam, there was light. Spoke a word and boom, there's a firmament. Spoke another word and there's earth coming out of the water. There's sun, moon, stars in the firmament. Cosmology, we're getting to that. Okay, you, you, I'm just trying to, I'm really advertising the night, evening messages. <laughs> this centurion is recognizing authority in Jesus, ultimate authority. And in so doing, this is what Jesus has to say. Boy, this is incredible. He says, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. All these people are going to be claiming to be the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, but they're nothing compared to this guy. There's a lot of the children who are going to say, Abraham our father, Isaac our father, Jacob our father, who are going to be in outer darkness. And what does it say about the outer darkness? Um, cast out into outer darkness, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sound familiar? The, again, that connection that something made for the, for the fallen angels bound in darkness in a pit in torment going to be joined by children of godly men. How can that be? Because they did not recognize first God's authority and then those that God gave authority to. And they exercised their self-authority against God like their father, Satan. And so we have this Gentile centurion as our model of understanding that real faith is about submitting to the authority that God has. Satan couldn't do it. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to usurp the authority for himself. We go back to Genesis and we go to the curse and um, among the curse on the woman was that she's going to be interested in something. She's interested in taking her husband's place. She's going to be interested, part of the curse on is to usurp her husband's authority. God has established authorities. Whether you like it or not, in the Decalogue, Ten Commandments, God has established for children an authority over them, their parents. That's my Father's Day reference. There you go. You rebel against that authority, you are of your father, the devil. He is the ultimate usurper of authority. You want to grab the authority that God has given to parents in the home, and that's what the world is doing. They're undermining parental authority in the home by leaps and bounds in our age by law. 
The law of this land is not supporting your home. It is undermining it. You join your father, the devil, when you want to usurp your husband's authority over you as a wife. And Israel here is being taught a lesson that they won't learn by a centurion. He says, I understand authority. I understand the chain of command. And I understand you're at the very top of it. You just say the word. And that is the faith that brings comment by Jesus. Wow. You willing to recognize me as the ultimate authority and every authority I establish. When you do that, you are truly exercising properly in a magnificent way the image and likeness of God. Now let's contrast the centurion to someone else. Let's go to John chapter 8. Just happens to be the same chapter. John chapter 8. Let's see another body that we're going to deal with. Abraham's my daddy. I'm okay. Verse 37 of John 8. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to him, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceed forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Then the Jews answered and said, We do not say do we not say, rather, you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Speaking evil of dignitaries. Sound familiar? Jude. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. Abraham is dead, and the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. 
And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old. Have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. The centurion of Rome believed that. The religious people of Israel did not. And they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Jesus lays out an argument that calls us to submit to authority. His authority, he submitted to the Father, calls us to equally submit. All the authority I have, I've get, gotten from the Father. He's the one that honors me. I don't honor myself. He honored me. He has given me his authority. With that authority, I am here to serve you, interestingly enough. Uh, you're studying that a little bit in Philippians there um, on Sunday school. But we have this tension of the servant king. But he is here with that authority. He is the I am. Why don't you submit? Because you are of your father, the devil. We rebel against authority. And Jesus does not demand that they follow him. He does not uh, beat them into submission. He says, you have the right to choose. It's God-given. God has given you of his very likeness of his authority over yourself. You choose you this day whom you will serve. You choose who's your father. The centurion acted and became a true son of Abraham by faith because he recognized and acknowledged the authority of Jesus as the Almighty. And here, the physical descendants of Abraham. Jesus says, you're of your father the devil by your own choice. Because you don't want to hear the truth. You don't want to respect the authorities that God has placed in your life. You will not recognize this. In fact, instead of recognizing my authority, you say it's demonic. You speak evil of glorious ones. The glorious one. They spoke evil of. We're going to develop that a little bit further on in our, in our study of the fall and of Satan's interactions and how he speaks. But I want us to see that the fall of the angels was one of rebelling against authority. And that authority extends all the way down to the very smallest social unit, and that is our home. God has designated that authority of husbands to their wives. Is it for our husbands to beat you into that authority, or into that submission to that authority? No. 
you have a will over your life, wives. You have the image of God that you carry to have decision over yourself. You choose whether to submit to the authority God has placed in the home or not. Just recognize that when you choose not to, you're choosing against not just that one authority, but all authority, right up to God Almighty. Your rebellion isn't just against your husband, but against your God. You call him your God. Jesus says, you call him your God, but you won't submit to his truth. You won't submit to his authority. Children, when you rebel against father and mother, the authorities that God has established in your life, you're rebelling against the authority of God. You are of the devil. And it goes right through the list. We can go right up the list and notice in Isaiah chapter 14 that that it's the nations as well, that God is the one who sets up kings and kingdoms, not Satan. Satan wants to pretend he does. He tries to manipulate it, but ultimately God is going to be glorified there. We submit to the authorities that are in our lives as a matter of faith. Whether it be within the home, within the church, within the community, and ultimately before Almighty God, we submit to that authority. To do otherwise, to, to be have Satan as your father. And so a Roman centurion stretches our faith. Do we really believe that these authorities are of God sufficiently to submit. We have been mentioning that Second Peter chapter 2 is very close to Jude and almost verbatim on occasions. And it's no mistake, I don't think, that if you go to First Peter, that you'll see one word keep cropping up over and over and over and over and over again in First Peter, and that is submit. Submit, 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 submit. Peter keeps calling the Christian community that the real life of faith is one of submission. I am yours, Lord. I surrender my will to yours. And I surrender to the authorities you place over me, beginning with you, Jesus, Holy Spirit, spiritual realm, familial realm, societal realm, Whatever authorities, I understand them. And I'll submit. And then within the church, because we are all sons of God, the Bible says submit to one another in love. That we look out for others' interests and not just my own. That's humility. Philippians 2 again. And so ultimately, we aren't going to drag you by your hair into submission. That's an Islamic way of doing things. But we recognize that you carry authority in your life to decide who you're going to submit to. The question today, on this day, is who's your father? Because rebellion means your father's the evil one. Submission means your father is the almighty one.
Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your careful instruction to us of the negative that we might avoid it. Lord, as we have seen, even demons can learn and avoid the sin of what some of them committed and are today still chained in darkness and torment. Lord, help us to learn. To surrender ourselves to you and to those that you place over us in our lives. We thank you for them knowing that it is your order for our benefit, for our safety, for our well-being, that you have established these authorities. And yet, Lord, we also recognize that wondrous created order that you have made us in your likeness. You will not force us to receive you or to submit to you, but you simply invite us to that it is for us to choose. Lord, what a precious gift you have given to us, the likeness the angels never knew. And so, Lord, we thank you. Our prayers that we might exercise your image in us to your glory and not our own. And we thank you for the help that you've given to us through your spirit and your word and your people to move us to do so. And Lord, as we press on in our study of your word and our walk, Lord, give us a spirit of humility that is willing to surrender to all authorities and to one another, even of equal authority, to your glory and the furtherance of your kingdom on earth. Lord, help us to be faithful in that spirit to your coming. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.